So the Fed won't budge, no surprise there, but we will probably see inflation rise today. But hey, it's just transitory, says Jerome Powell, while there's still this widespread unemployment. So when will they slow their bond purchases? And how many more will be issued under the Biden administration with the uh, president now 100 days in office today? Last night he was announcing America's families plan with more fiscal support for lower income households. It's going to be supported by tax rises, of course, but will it? Uh, We'll also look at Australia's CPI yesterday, which was lower than low, and trade prices today and the latest corporate earnings for Apple and Facebook. We'll give you the numbers as well. It's Thursday, the 29th of April, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, U.S. Treasury yields edged a tiny bit upwards, uh, but no more than one basis point on 10 years overnight. Then they turned around and they're now one basis point lower than yesterday after the uh, the Fed speaking, after the, after the press conference. Small moves in equities, too. The Dow is down 0.3%. It uh, picked up those losses during Powell's press conference as well. The S&P and Nasdaq are pretty flat. Not much moving in the U.S. dollar either. It was down a little. Now, after the Fed, it's uh, a quarter percent down. The Aussie has bounced back a little, up a quarter percent to 77.9 U.S. cents. Oil up 1.2% for Brent, 1.4% for WTI. Now, Ray Attrell is head of FX strategy for NAB in Sydney. He's been watching Jerome Powell's press conference. So no big, big moves uh, and not an enormous reaction to the Fed either. As I said, we saw uh, equities track up a little bit, the US dollar down a bit. But I mean, it would the tone set by the Fed was fairly upbeat, wasn't it? Well, morning, Phil. Yeah, I mean, I suppose two things. I mean, the, the, the statement itself um, certainly indicated a, an upgraded assessment of the economy. Yeah. Um, but the market impact of that was more than fully undone by the subsequent uh, Powell press conference, which has just finished as we're recording, um, you know, which where the key, the key or the killer lines, if you like, were that, um, you know, we're not close to the substantial progress mm. uh, that the Fed has set as a precondition for considering tapering and, and you know, not time yet to have that conversation. So that's really why bond yields are lower. Uh, the equity market liked the uh, liked the message from that, and the US dollar um, has headed a little bit lower, pushing Aussie back up close to, to the 78 cents level. But as for the economic assessment itself, um, you know, two things to note. One was that the, um, the, 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 the statement says that indicators of economic activity have strengthened, or e- economic activity and employment, should I say, have strengthened. That's an upgrade for saying from saying they have turned up, which is what we got in the March statement. And they've also said that the sectors most adversely affected by the pandemic have improved, Mm. whereas in March they said they had remained weak. So, um, and the word considerable you know, also, has disappeared as well. When it comes to the, the risk presented by the pandemic, no longer considerable risks. So uh, that's a word that's, that's disappeared right. since so the last one too. What, it was considerable risks in March. And what is it now? It's risks to the outlook remain. Mm. So um, a little bit less sort of downside fears there. So that's really, um, as I say, initially the market thought, oh, it's a little bit of a, an upgraded assessment, but everyone was pretty much expecting that anyway. It was what was going to follow from from uh, from Chair Powell and uh, say so the message there is nothing to see here yeah. regarding the uh, the risks of a of a of an early um, setting the hairs running regarding QE tapering and which will remain at 120 billion a month for the foreseeable future yeah until maybe a couple of months time we'll we'll wait and see when when they t- start to announce that they're going to well, start just taping. on that by the way mm. I mean they have said that um, you know we want to see you know, several months or, you know, or many months strung together of the sort of employment numbers that we had in March. So remember, we had 916,000 rising payrolls, pretty much saying, I want to see, Mm. you know, consecutive months of presumably close to a million 
uh, monthly payroll gains as, as one precondition for determining what substantial progress means. Right. Okay. Well, Mark, April, May, June, maybe July. Who knows before they start to say anything. Look, the uh, the PC deflator is out uh, tonight in the United States. And Jerome Powell sort of headed that off, didn't he? Because, you know, here he is talking about inflation and uh, anything we see is going to be uh, transitory. And he seemed to be indicating that he thought this was going to be big. It was going to be a bit above their 2% target. But he used that Drew Peters mantra that it has to be sustained inflation that counts. Uh, it has to drive up inflation expectations. And that won't happen while there's still this slack in the labor market. So it's, it's the same message, isn't it? I mean, we're, you know, 8.4 million below pre-pandemic levels in terms of the number of people unemployed in the United States. Absolutely. So it's the same, in a way, it's the same message as, as obviously we're getting from the RBA, really, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, until we have, you know, what looks to be full employment, um, you know, it's unlikely that the conditions for a sustainable rise in inflation are likely to fall into place. So, yes, I think that PCE number is expected to come in at about 2.5% year on year, which is up from what 1.5% um, in the previous quarter. Yeah. This is part of the, uh, the national accounts that we'll get tonight now, for uh, Q1 GDP, which is expected to be something in the order of 7%. Yeah, no one um, seems to have a clear idea. Q1 GDP, we seem to, that first estimate, seems to be a wide range of estimates on that, doesn't oh, it? Oh, absolutely. What is it? Something like 4% to well above 10%. So, uh, <laughs> I predict a surprise in mm. GDP relative to <laughs> consensus expectations. That's a pretty but, safe uh, bet. Uh, yeah. Now, look, Joe Biden, uh, 100 days in office today. How time flies. And he's going to lay out his, his roadmap for uh, the, the the future for the United States. And we had a, a lot of that yesterday uh, with the, the American Families Plan, which is going to include free childcare for three to four year olds, extending the $300 per month child tax credit for low income households. Community colleges are going to be free. This is on top of the infrastructure spending to create jobs uh, all of this of course on top of the 1.9 trillion dollar american rescue plan a lot as well so there's a lot of spending he is announcing and is going to continue to announce uh, which makes me think you know there's going to be a lot of bonds to issue a lot of qe potential for the fed so how does that i mean the expectation that the, the fed will at some point taper asset purchases i know jerome powell was asked a question about this and he said, well, we, you know, we've got nothing to do with fiscal policy. That's for elected representatives. But surely there has to be taken into account just how many bonds there are swilling around in the market and the impact that that could have on inflation. Surely. Well, that's, you know, it's, it's an ongoing issue. But just remember, just, just, just wind back a second. So, yes, so $1.8 trillion of planned spending under the American Families Plan uh, on top of $2.3 trillion of proposed spending on infrastructure. Now, these are decade-long plans, remember. Sure. Um, but remember, all or most of the spending expected to be funded by tax increases. Yeah. And therein lies the rub in terms of whether these will ever see the light of day. Mm. Um, you know, particularly, you know, almost certainly not unless we can get, you know, unanimous Democrat support for these because, you know, most Republicans are not going to, or any of them are going to support the envisaged tax increases to pay for them. But, um, you know, but so in this case, you know, neither plan is going to add to deficits in the same way that the $1.9 trillion current COVID stimulus plan. And if, if the tax increases can't be approved, then, you know, will the spending increases be approved? So it's not necessarily the case that this is going to have an explosive effect mm. on uh, on budget deficits. So That's um, if it works. I mean, do you remember, remember Donald Trump uh, was going to raise taxes by uh, by cutting taxes, going to raise tax revenue through his tax cuts, and that didn't happen, and that be, just became added to the deficit. So there's always the danger, isn't it, that plans don't go according to plan? No, absolutely. So anyway, there is a lot of the, the bottom line is there is a long way to go as far as whether mm. either of these uh, these plans will actually see the light of 
day. And from a market point of view, it's probably worth noting that if you go back to the 2017 uh, Trump era tax cuts, markets didn't really take them on board almost until you know the, the paper was heading towards the Oval Office for, for Donald Trump's signature. Yeah. So um, at the moment, I think there's just too much uncertainty for markets to want to start pricing in, particularly the prospect of higher corporate taxes. So um, you know, I think the market will say, look, we'll take this in their stride. Uh, in the meantime, it's probably the onwards and upwards for equities on the basis that the Fed is going nowhere as far as either QE support for the bond market as well as uh, you know, as well as uh, risky assets, if you like, and interest rate rises are still a, a long distant prospect. Yeah. All right. Now, we had uh, US trade numbers as well, quickly before we move off the US, a record deficit of 90 billion. That, of course, is what happens when you stay, keep people at home, not working, and they uh, they can buy imports. Uh, so China, presumably, <laughs> has done very well out of all of this. So, no, it is. And, and, and a reminder on that. So going back to the deficit talk, so I'm sort of, I'm not, not wanting to downplay it, but with a trade deficit blowing out to record numbers, it's a reminder that the so-called twin deficits, which we bang on about, um, you know, ad nausea as a potential risk factor for the US dollar in terms of the need, you know, for foreign investors to fund a good chunk of these uh, these deficits, is coming both from the trade side and the budget deficit side. So it's sort of just adding to mm. the uh, the concerns that, that we have about how is all this going to ultimately going to be paid for in terms of the US's ability to attract foreign capital. So it just adds to this sort of what we secular downforce that we think will play out over time in, in, in the form of a weaker US dollar. Right. And very different story in Canada. Why is Canada doing so much better? Is it just because they have come out of lockdown sooner? I mean, retail numbers have, have gone up, core retail sales up 4.8%. I guess that's a, a chunk of it, isn't it? It's all to do with how quickly you come out of lockdown. We're going to see the same growth everywhere when people can eventually go shopping. When they can go shopping, people do go shopping. That's basically the principle. It does seem to be, doesn't it? So what do we have? A 4.8% monthly rise in, in core retail sales. So um, yes, yeah. so everybody has the money. Everybody's cashed out. It's just they need the opportunity to go out and uh, and spend it. But um, yeah. in the Eurozone, they, you know, the surprising thing is that things like the PMIs are telling you that, um, you know, spending on services has been remarkably resilient during the lockdowns. But again, a function of the fact that, uh, you know, households are, are still pretty cashed up. So that's certainly the message. And, you know, obviously the Bank of Canada last week signaling that, um, you know, it was uh, on cue to, to start tapering and, and it thinks they might be in a position to raise rates uh, sometime next year. Certainly the incoming data is continuing to support their view on that isn't it yeah 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 so yeah it all all shows that you know bounce backs are likely although interestingly germany consumer confidence numbers yesterday much lower than expected but i guess that is you know again a reflection of that so they were they're in lockdown for longer so people are expecting the recovery is going to take long it's not it's not going to happen it's just longer than expected at cpi then in australia uh yesterday Let's talk about that. 1.1% year on year. I think it's the lowest since 1998, wasn't it? The core measure, quarter on quarter, just 0.3%. So housing's had a lot to do with this, hasn't it? It had, that was really the surprise. So we had some of the increase. Things like petrol prices, for example, were uh, you know, expected to boost the headline numbers, and they certainly did. But the big downside surprise was in housing. So, so new dwellings. New dwelling costs, for example, fell 0.1%, which was a surprise given all the anecdotal evidence of, uh, you know, of what's been happening with, with auction uh, uh, auction uh, pricing, basically clearing, you know, well well above sort of estimated uh, estimated selling prices. But the big issue there is that the home builder subsidy, you know, had a big impact. So although that home builder subsidy was tapered, the actual take up in the first quarter um, there was a huge volume increase, and that's really showed up. 
in uh, in, a, in a fall in dwelling in new dwelling costs, which would have been up something like close to two percent, one point nine percent, I think, if home builder hadn't been affected. Um, and the other thing was lots of anecdotal evidence of higher rents. But if you look at Sydney, for example, um, rents were down 0.5% in the CPI. And obviously that reflects, you know, what's been happening in terms of inner city apartments. But, um, you know, you have to distinguish between stock and flow. So although, you know, rents are rising, the existing stock of rental properties, on average, rents are actually down compared to mm. uh, a year ago. So, you know, these factors may well prove temporary, um, but for the time being, at least they've validated or vindicated the RBA's view that underlying inflation is very, very subdued, just what, 0.3% on the quarter, barely 1% year on year. So, you know, that certainly plays to the view that, um, you know, the RBA thinks it's it's a long way off, um, you know, coming close to meeting its inflation mandate. So, um, you know, certainly supportive of their view that uh, we don't think rate rises are coming at least before 2024, which we'd certainly agree with. Yeah, all right. New Zealand's balance of trade very shortly as well, plus their business confidence today. Australia's trade prices as well. Last time, Q4, we had a 5.5% rise in export prices. Uh, Q on Q, uh, we had a 1% fall in import prices. Uh, so where does it go for Q1 this year? Well, I mean, this is really going to corroborate the, you know, the view that the terms of trade, so that sort of export prices mm. divided by import prices, it's going to be up close to 10%, I think, in the quarter if, if market expectations right. are met there. So this is really a commodity price story driving export prices up by something like 9%, whereas import prices have actually fallen somewhat, um, helped a little bit by uh, by a firmer Aussie dollar. Um, so you put the two things together and it looks like we could get a double-digit gain in what will be the mm. goods terms of trade. And uh, that's part of the story nice behind be the, the tailwinds from commodity prices that uh, are supportive of, uh, of where the Aussie dollar is today, but more importantly, where we think it might be mm. headed in the next uh, next quarter or two, which is more likely up than down on our view. Right. Well, there we go. And very quickly, before we go, the earnings season, of course, in full swing. Amazon tomorrow, and we've just seen earnings this morning for Apple and Facebook. Sales up 54% for Apple. Uh, they've also announced a $90 billion buyback in shares. So uh, little surprise then that their share price shot up to 4% almost immediately. Everyone loves a share buyback. Uh, much higher numbers than expected there. And of course, the future is bright because they make their own chips these days. And the iPhone 12, everyone's going to want a new phone when they uh, start getting out and about, won't they? So their stock, as I say, 4% up almost straight away and facebook smashing it in earnings and revenue almost 26.2 billion in revenue versus 23.7 billion expected even though uh, monthly active users is less than expected but that's good that means higher revenue per user which is a good thing net income grew 94 percent on last year from 4.9 billion to 9.5 billion little surprise then that their share price is up uh, more than six percent in after hours trade so there we are uh, we'll leave it there for now though that's enough from us thank you for uh, coming on today ray we'll catch you again very soon will do Thanks, Phil. That's it for the morning call. Back again tomorrow morning for NAB. I'm Phil Dobby. See you then.